Amen. Good morning, everybody. How you doing today? All right. Man, you guys excited to be in a nice air-conditioned room today? So nice to get off the surface of the sun and come into, uh, come into the church. We decided uh, yesterday that we were going to go ahead and use our, our pizza oven. We built a, a little pizza oven for like 50 bucks with some bricks and stuff in our backyard. It's a really cool DIY project. Um, as you guys know, I'm really like crafts, a craftsman. I love hunting and camping and all that. And so we did this pizza oven. And it was like 102. And we had this roaring fire in the pizza oven. And Bethany and I are out there slaving over the pizza like a true Italians, you know, and making the, the pizza, which is delicious, by the way. And our, our, our children were inside in the air conditioning watching TV. And they had the audacity to come out and be like, Mom and Dad, as icicles were coming off of their, their faces, is the pizza ready yet? And we're out there sweating and just loving summer. How many of you are summer people? Yes. Where are my fall people at? Fall people? Yeah. Woo. yeah. I've decided, you know, I've been a little bit biased about seasons. I grew up, I was always a fall person, loving the fall. I'm just going to like all the seasons now. So I'm going to enjoy 102 in front of a roaring fire and uh, just, you know, love it. All the, all the beautiful things about summer forest fires. Um, sunburns, bees, you know, wasps coming out of the ground and stuff. It's just a great season, loving it, you know, <laughs> being embarrassed at the pool when you take your shirt off, all the good stuff about summer. Just kidding. Hey, good to be with you guys today, man. What a great time in the presence of the Lord and worship. Uh, man, you can just feel God moves in the room and we're, when we worship him and uh, really incredible. We're going to continue our series, Famous Last Words. Bethany kicked us uh, off, a couple of, kicked us off, kicked us out, kicked us forward. I don't know. She kicked somebody uh, two weeks ago, started off in this series. We're looking at uh, Paul's letter to his spiritual son, Timothy. It's called Second Timothy. And this is written from a Roman prison. Paul uh, was in prison in Rome twice. On his first imprisonment, it was kind of like house arrest. And uh, he got out and uh, scholars and historians believe went and continued to preach the gospel. But later under the reign of Emperor Nero, he gets imprisoned again. And this is not so nice of a time. Uh, it's, a, it's a dark place. And Paul writes 2 Timothy, his last letter, uh, most likely knowing this is probably the last opportunity I'm going to get to impart wisdom, impart my heart to my spiritual son. And so we're going into that. As you know, when, when it's your last words, it's kind of the important things that you want to say. And so there's just a, a really rich, uh, rich lessons inside of this book for us to learn as followers of Jesus. Before we look at Paul's words, though, in 2 Timothy, I wanted to share a couple of famous people, uh, well-known people's last words that I think you might find interesting. Leonardo da Vinci. How many of you know who Leonardo da Vinci is? It's not the guy in Titanic. It's not the Ninja Turtle. I think they were maybe named after this Leonardo. But uh, Leonardo da Vinci... Quite modestly, as he's dying, these are his last words. I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Uh, wow. I mean, seems like somebody needed to encourage him a little bit. Like, the Mona Lisa was pretty good, man, you know, and all the stuff you did, but that's what he said. Richard B. Mellon, a multimillionaire, was the president of Alcoa. He and his brother Andrew had a little game of tag going on for seven decades. When Richard was on his deathbed, he called his brother over and he whispered in his ear, last tag. And Andrew remained it for four years until he died. <laughs> I like those last words, you know, you're it. Okay. James W. Rogers, uh, this guy was a, a murderer, so not, not so nice, but uh, he was put in front of a firing squad in Utah and asked if he had a last request. This is what he said. 
Yes, I do have a last request. I would like a bulletproof vest. <laughs> I don't think he got it. Anyways, um, one more. How many drummers in the house? Any drummers here? Drummers? Any drummers? Wow. Guess we're... I'm a drummer, so I'm here. Anyways, uh, drummer Buddy Rich, who's a great, incredible jazz... Uh, almost a drumist. No, drummer... He died after surgery in 1987. As he was being prepped for surgery, a nurse asked him, Buddy, is there anything you can't take? And Rich replied, yes, country music. And then he died. Yes, praise God. How many of you love country music? Awesome. There's, uh, there's some doors right there. If you just don't mind, just single file, please. And don't, don't take any donuts on your way out. Just... I don't like country music. I do like old country. I don't like new country. You know, like they call it hot country. Guys, it's bad. It's just bad. It's not of the Lord. Florida Georgia line and ooh, my goodness. You know, some of you are all like, it's rock. They're like rapping, but he's wearing cowboy boots. It's just icky. It's gross. Give me some Johnny Cash. I mean, that's country, you know, like, man, if, 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 you, if you're not drinking moonshine whiskey while you're listening to it, it's not country, okay? That's... I don't even drink, but I know that's true. All right. All joking aside, Paul's last words uh, are so rich and, and encouraging to Timothy, his spiritual son, but also coming down through history to us. So we're going to read this. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ. I have been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. I am writing to Timothy, my dear son. May God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord, give you grace, mercy, and peace. Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. And you can get a sense here, as Paul's writing this, I want you to imagine, here's this guy, uh, you know, getting up there in age, probably maybe a senior citizen, or at least upper middle age at this point in his life. And uh, he's in this dark place, he's in this prison, and yet he writes these warm words to this, to this man that he's raised up in the faith, his spiritual son. He goes on in verse 5, he says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. I want you to remember those words, fan into flames, because that's what we're going to talk about today. The, what Paul's really speaking to his spiritual son here. And he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. Or in translation, as I grew up reading it, of sound mind. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. This is what spiritual fathers and real fathers have to do, is tell their kids, don't be ashamed of me, right? Uh, don't, don't be embarrassed of your dad. Um, I thought that was funny. But anyways, Paul says, even though I'm in prison for him, with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. Father, we open up our hearts and minds to you today. I pray, God, that you'd speak to us as we look into your word. God, as we uh, as we as we study this together, as we go through the, the, the thoughts about this, Lord, let it, let it come and dwell richly in us. Let it be seed that is planted in our hearts and in our minds that, that takes root and grows and produces good fruit. Lord, we want to hear 
what you have for us today. And we want to leave this place transformed and changed, challenged and encouraged to go and be those disciples and sons and daughters that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. 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 I want to give a couple of thoughts out of this uh, passage that we just read because it's so rich. Uh, what we first see here is that uh, every, everybody's called to be a spiritual father or mother. Everyone. Um, I've really been meditating on this idea that Paul, he, he didn't have any natural kids. Um, he never got married. And yet his relationship with Timothy is not any less than a, than a natural father and a natural son. I mean, the words that he writes and the encouragement that he has and the level of advice and wisdom that he pours in, he relates to Timothy as his dear son. Now, as believers, and we ha- even have this on our uh, mission statement, you might not be able to see it from wh- where you're sitting, but we believe in this idea of making disciples. Our mission statement as a church is to love God, love people, and make disciples. And you may, may have heard me say this before, but I believe that as we do number one and number two really well, number three is the natural outflow. So as we pursue God and we love God with all that we are and all that we have, and as we love people, so as God's love works in us and we love the people around us, then it's going to be a natural outflow to make disciples. One of the things that, that can happen in any kind of thing, but even in, the, even in Christianity and even as we make disciples, is we can turn it into a function or a utility like, oh, I, I just have this job and I have to go do it. I have to go tell people about Jesus, even though they're uncomfortable and I'm uncomfortable. And even though, you know, this is weird and awkward, it's like I have to do my duty. And we're sort of missing something that discipleship isn't just this functional thing. It's a family thing. It's about relationship. You know, one of the beautiful things about God that we serve is he's not just like, you know what, everybody needs to believe the right stuff so you don't go to hell. That's very functional and utilitarian. And you go, well, is, that, is there truth in that? Well, perhaps, but actually it's missing the point. It's like getting the facts, but missing the truth. God loves people. And the scripture says that God sets the solitary into family. You can't understand God without understanding the concept of family and relationship. It's why God always tells us that the way we relate to him is as a father, that we're his sons and his daughters, that there is love, not just obedience, that there is a a family connection and not just part of something because we all believe the same stuff. And so I'll tell you where I'm going with this, that as we look at this this mission of discipleship, I want to give some nuance to this and some direction that the heartbeat of discipleship is not to get a notch on your your Jesus belt like, boom, got one, you know, you know, and holster your spiritual weapon or whatever. The heart isn't to get a spiritual tap on the back like, man, you you went and shared your faith with someone and they came to church. And so now God is happy with you because you're doing your duty. The point of this is to bring people into the family of God so they can be saved and transformed and in relationship and we can enjoy each other and enjoy God together. Like the point of a church is not just utilitarian. There's actually beauty in it. And this is something I'd love to maybe do a whole sermon on at some point, but God didn't just create a functional world. He created a world of art and beauty. There's flowers on mountains that no one will ever see. There are vistas that you'll never be able to see. And yet God created it and wove beauty and majesty and and things that there's beauty in family. The beauty of the Schmelzer family, Bethany and I and our three kids, isn't just that all our kids are perfectly obedient because that's not true. (laughs) 
the, the beauty of our family is that we're together going through life and there's development and growth, not just of our kids, but us together and that we're learning to love each other and that we're, we're growing even in relationship. And so this thing that we call the Christian faith is not just functional, it's family, it's relationship. And I hope this kind of speaks to you because Paul, you see this example of a disciple maker. You see this example of a, of a father in the faith that he didn't just go, well, you know, Timothy, I've got you and I've got Titus and I've got, you know, well, Demas left me. That's in another part. You know, he's a bad son. No, Paul, Paul's not just like functional in his relationship with Timothy. He's fatherly. Everyone, every one of us is called to be a spiritual father or mother. We're called to make disciples, but not just to get a notch in our belt. We're called to build the family. We are a family. God is working to bring the solitary into family. And that's the spirit of discipleship. Jesus said to his disciples, the world will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. You know, sometimes in the church, we're, we're really good at like loving people really far away. Man, we just got to pray for the people all the way across the world. You know, it's easy to pray for faceless, nameless people. It's hard to love those that are close to you. And, and the, the Bible's very clear. Our, the mark of a true disciple is the love for the, the family of God and being part of this family, loving your brother and your sister and serving together and inviting people into this beautiful relationship that we have with God. So that's the first thought here, that everyone is called to be a spiritual father or mother. We see Paul lives this out. The second thing is this. Paul talks about this thing called genuine faith or strong faith. He identifies that Timothy has it, but it's not enough. This is the second thought that I want to share with you today, that even genuine faith must be fanned into flames. Even the real McCoy, even the real authentic thing, strong faith still requires activation to be fanned into flames. Now let's talk about what genuine faith is really quick. Genuine faith, uh, the word genuine is, can be defined this way, truly what something is said to be. It's authentic. When we talk about genuine faith in Christ, it means there's real trust, real obedience, that your life is built on Christ. Like he said, the wise man builds his house on the rock. That as we look into the teachings of Jesus, that's what we build our life on. That's our, our truth, our philosophy. Uh, that's the, the way we live our life. But there's also dependence on him. We're following Jesus. The word disciple means student of. And, and Jesus, imagine him walking down a path. To be a disciple of Jesus is that you're following in his footsteps. You don't always get it right, but you're, you're using him as the standard. This is what genuine faith is. It's somebody who believes in the gospel. They believe that that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and that by trusting in Christ and receiving him as Lord and Savior, their sins are forgiven and they have a relationship with God. How many of you would say, yes, I have a genuine faith? It's the real deal, right? It's not Fuji faith, it's Gucci faith. It's real, <laughs> the real thing. We, we've had an opportunity to go to uh, Cambodia a few times and I love it over there. Um, I love to visit, don't want to live there. But anyways, it's, a, it's an awesome place. And in Southeast Asia, there's a lot of, you know, creating goods and putting somebody else's brand on it that might perhaps not belong to you. And so there's a place in Phnom Penh called the Russian Market. And uh, at the Russian Market, when we've been there a couple times, you can buy all these kind of knockoff goods. So people are buying, you know, Nikes, and, but they're not Nikes. And I bought a diesel backpack, but it wasn't really a diesel backpack. How many of you know, if you're getting a diesel backpack and it's $9, it's probably not real. <laughs> And so uh, I got my diesel backpack and it looked great for about two weeks till all the badges fell off and it, you know, turned back into a $3 backpack or whatever it was. But that authentic faith is the real thing. It's the, it's the real deal. 
But authentic, strong faith that Timothy has, that Paul's talking about, it, it requires something else. It requires activation. This is what we talk about uh, fanning into flames. That it's one thing to build it right on the, the faith thing and another for that faith, to, for that fire to burn. That's faith in action. A couple weeks ago, we were camping at the coast and uh, Jack and I, we built this awesome fire, you know, in the, in the little fire pit that they give you uh, that, that you're required to build your fire in, you know, those little metal things. So we get it, we get it all, you know, set up kind of like pyramidal, uh, pyramid shape and put the kindling in there. I even, even sprung for the little fire starter, the little like cedar wax thing, you know what I'm talking about that you put in there. So we get this thing built up. It's got the paper on the inside. I mean, it's ready to go. It's, it's actually a masterpiece to be honest, you know, I mean, just a beautiful masterpiece. As I said, I'm a noted a hunter and a gatherer. So fire builder, man of the the earth. I like to go hunt things and eat them. So no, but anyways, we build this fire. We get the matches and we light it and it starts to do its thing. And then it starts to peter out. It's like the wood is kind of too damp. And it was a little bit, it was a little bit wet while we were there. And we're like, oh my gosh, we built this masterpiece and yet it's not really working. And so I remembered that, well, you can fan this thing into flames. And so I grabbed the, the big lid of our uh, tote and I began to wave at it. I got to be careful. My iPad's trying to delete my notes there. Okay. That almost happened in first service. So I began to fan this thing into flames and all of a sudden the fire begins to roar. Have you ever done this before? It's an awesome feeling. Every man is just a tiny bit pyro uh, on the inside. It's just how it is, you know. And uh, I begin to, to fan this thing into flames. And that's what Paul's talking about. Like, hey, you built it right. Your faith is in the right spot. You're believing in Jesus. You're trusting in God. You have your self-confidence and your, your self-image is in Christ. But it's not enough just to build it right. You've got to fan it into flames. When I began to fan it into flames, all of a sudden the, the, the air was feeding that fire and it started to consume and it started to actually produce warmth and heat and be something that we could roast marshmallows on. Come on. It, it, it got exciting at that point. And that's what God wants to do with your life, that he wants your faith to be built and constructed on the right thing. But it's not enough just to be this perfect example that doesn't actually provide any light and heat for anybody in the world. He wants your faith fanned into flames, which means activated spiritual gifts, that it's actually doing something. You know, to understand Joy Church and to be a part of Joy Church and what we are, you got to understand that this is not a church of spectators. This is a church of participants. You didn't amen enough. Let me say it again. This is not a church of spectators. I want to make sure I don't fall off. Okay, I'll get a little closer. This is a church of participants. Amen. Somebody was talking to, I don't even remember who I was talking to, and they, they said that they were speaking to this lady that had come to our church a few years ago. And um, she said, oh, I, I tried that church. It really wasn't, I didn't like it too much. It wasn't for me. I mean, obviously she's demonic. I mean, that's, you know, it's clearly, but no, I'm kidding. But she said, that ah, wasn't for me. I didn't really like it. And, and they said, well, why? I mean, you know, I mean, our pastor's weird. But other than that, I mean, it's a good place. And, and she said, well, you know, the pastor kept saying that it's not for, it's not for spectators, that I have to get involved. And, and the person was like, yeah. And they were like, yeah, so I didn't like it. It was like, well, that's great. It's like the person who doesn't like I don't like Red Robin. Well, why? Because I don't like hamburgers. Okay, well, that's what they do. You know what I mean? Well, I don't like Les Schwab. Why? Well, I don't like tires. Okay, you know, I mean, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? You guys with me? Yeah. 
we are in our core about not just spectating. The reality is like you can find a better show on Sunday morning than anything Bethany or I or the team or any of us can do. There are actual real football games that are played on Sunday. There are amazing restaurants in our town. My goodness, you live in Oregon. Go hiking. If you just want to be entertained or dazzled or whatever, like what are we doing here? That's not the point. The point is we kind of believe that Jesus called us to come together and be an example of the gospel and faith and faith fanned into flames and we're doing something that requires participation, not spectation, not spectating. And so at the core of who we are, we believe that we are called as followers of Jesus to go on mission and to live on mission and to go into the world and make disciples, that we're called to share our faith and love people and actually do something with what God has done in us. That is who we are as a church. Listen to what Jesus' brother James said in another part of the New Testament in James 2.17, and I think this echoes the words of Paul said in a different way. He says, so you see, faith by itself is not enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Somebody say dead. dead. Got to say it like that. Dead. Now, someone may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds. And what James is talking about here is some people are like, well, my faith is on the inside and yours is on the outside. Mine's just that special relationship I have with the Lord. And James blows this up. He says, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. And he's not talking about that you're saved by your good deeds. What he's saying is that if you are the real thing, when you get fanned into flames, there's light and heat. Something comes out of real faith. Real faith is marked by real action, real transformation. And this isn't something you have to do. It comes out of who you are, that that real faith, as the Holy Spirit blows on your heart, begins to work in you, and you begin to use your gifts, as we're going to talk about in just a minute, that God does something awesome inside, and that out of you comes this production. James is saying real faith on one side is going to be matched with real deeds, that something will actually happen. When I look at the the evangelistic effort and the mission that we have in our nation, uh, in our generation, which is our responsibility, just to put that on you, it's not somebody else's responsibility to, to evangelize America. It's our responsibility. Yeah. Uh, it's our responsibility to share the gospel in our generation. It's our responsibility to love the community that we live in and to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Come on. Yeah. As I look at this mission ahead of us, I, I, I often think, you know, Lord, what, what are the obstacles? What are the challenges? What are the things that, that stop us from making an impact and one of the things that I, that I really do believe is, is a hindrance to the gospel in our nation and anywhere else is that if, if the faith that we're inviting someone into isn't really doing it for us, why would someone want to join? If the faith that we're inviting someone into isn't really better than where they're coming from, why would they want to move? Come on. If all we have to offer is a different kind of therapy... Why would you stop going to the one you're already seeing? If all we have to offer is a different ism or osophy, why would somebody switch from what they are? Why would somebody cross the bridge of becoming a Christian if there wasn't something dynamically different about being a Christian than not? And here's what I found. Christians that have maybe even a genuine faith, but it's not fanned into flames, there's no light or heat. It's not captivating. It's not compelling. It doesn't get somebody up out of their seat. If the Holy Spirit is not transforming and exciting you and and doing something on the inside of you, 
And I, and I want to say this. When I say it this way, I don't mean because you're doing something wrong. I want to encourage you. No, God ha- wants to do something in you that is undeniable, even to you. God wants to set you free from the sin that so easily ensnares, the addictions and the bondages. God wants to take that depression and discouragement and get it off of your life and get you to know who you really are and what you mean to him. God wants to to set you free so that you can proclaim his goodness to the people around you. God wants to set your life on fire, but not in a bad way, in a good way. God wants to get that faith that you have in Christ and fan it into flames. James says, real faith is going to be paired with good deeds. There's going to be evidence of what God has done on the inside. So how do we fan into flames that spiritual gift? Paul mentions this to Timothy. He says, Timothy, because of your, your genuine faith, I remember that faith comes from your legacy, your, your mother, your grandmother. That same faith is in you. You've built a strong faith. You have a genuine faith in Christ. But Paul says, I want to remind you. And remember, these are last words. This is important. This is what he wants to say. I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Every single one of us in this room has been gifted by God. We've been given a divine grace gift to make a difference in the world around us. How does that get fanned into flames? This word gift here is the word in Greek, charis, charis, charisma. We get that word out of it and it refers to God-given gifts, God-given grace gifts that we can use to live out or to demonstrate our faith. In Romans chapter 12, verse 6, Paul talks about this. He says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. What he could have said here is if your gift is serving others, fan it into flame. Same thing. Put it into action. Get it activated. If your gift, if you're a teacher, teach well. What what could he have said? Fan it into flames. If you're a teacher and you love God's word and you want to communicate and teach people how to see the Bible and understand, fan it into flames. Teach well. Put it into action. Study. Grow. Develop. And do it. Verse 8. If your gift is to encourage others, fan it into flames. Be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Fan it into flames. God has given you a gift And the way we fan that gift into flames is to put it into action. We don't just say, hey, isn't this a nice fire I've built? We light it. We use it. We do something about it. And Paul reminds Timothy, hey, it's great that you have this legacy of faith. It's great that you have this genuine faith. Man, that's going to get you to heaven. But how are we going to get heaven to here? Fan it into flames. Listen to this. Genuine faith in Christ plus activated spiritual gifts. How many of you thought we were going to do math in church today? If Sally is, is on a train from Omaha to, and Chris is on a train from New York, no, we're not doing that. Genuine faith in Christ plus activated spiritual gifts equals faith fanned into flames. Genuine faith in Christ, believing the gospel, your life is founded and rooted on Jesus. Genuine faith. Man, if you haven't experienced genuine faith, that's where it starts. How amazing to know the real deal. I think many people reject the Christian faith because all they're rejecting is the the facade. They're rejecting the shell, the form of godliness, but denying its power. They've seen from other Christians a faith that isn't really fanned into flames. Maybe they have the right ideas of who Jesus is, what he did, so on and so forth, but it hasn't done anything for them. And so they reject Christianity for the wrong reasons, not having really experienced 
the incredible genuine touch of heaven in their life that comes through relationship with Jesus Christ. Genuine faith plus activated spiritual gifts, putting your gifts that God's given you into action, that's faith fanned into flames. The, the next thing that, that goes on here is Paul says to Timothy in verse seven, and I love this, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. God has not given us a spirit of fear. This is something I say regularly because I don't know about you, but basically anytime past 11 at night, any sound is somebody coming to kill me, <laughs> Right? And you might think, well, you're like a big dude, you know, you're like fine, you know, you don't need to be scared. And no, I'm scared. I'm scared of mice, snakes, spiders, bad people, inflation. I'm scared of everything. You know what I mean? Like I deal with fear and, and, uh, you know, sounds in the night. What was that? What was that? You know, I'll tell you a little story to absolutely make you never sleep good again. So one night I'm laying in bed. We, the lights have been out for a while and Bethany knows that I deal with fear in the night or whatever. And so she's, you know, so gracious to me and wonderful, but uh, she's had to deal with a lot. So one night I'm laying there, have my head on the pillow. You have these big king size pillows and I hear thud and I felt it just thud, some, some meat, you know, something hit, hit the pillow. And I was like, what was that? What was that? Go to bed, Jake, go to sleep. Nothing. No, no, no. Something hit my pillow. It's like dark, you know, we're doing it whispering, whatever. No, no, just go to sleep. You're fine. Everything's good. I'm like, I think I heard something. She's like, no, you didn't. Just go back to sleep. Nope, I think I heard something. <laughs> so I turn on the light. She's like, don't turn the light on. I'm like, I'm going to turn the light on. I turn the light on. I look over. Shelob from Lord of the Rings was right there. The biggest spider you've ever seen in your entire life. How many of you know, like these Eugene house spiders, those giant house spiders we have here? I mean, it was, you know, three feet. No, it was probably like, I mean, it was, it had girth, guys. This spider had its own zip code. It was huge. Spider had not called Jenny. You know what I'm saying? Spider was huge. And uh, anyways, I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, we look over and Bethany's like, ah. So then of course, like a real, you know, man, I had her kill it. <clears throat> I was traumatized. And so she went over and she got like all paper towels or whatever and, and got it and grabbed it and it crunched. It was like something Indiana Jones would have to eat or something. I mean, anyways, uh, God wants to deliver you from fear. See everybody. Uh, have a great night. How many of you know, if you hear a thud on your pillow, turn the light on. If you don't remember anything else, why does Paul warn Timothy about fear? Why does he tell him God didn't give you that fear? God didn't give you that timidity. That's not from God. Here's why. Because when you're living with genuine faith, fanned into flames, putting your gift into action, you're going to deal with fear. You're going to be intimidated. You're going to get discouraged. You're going to get depressed. You're going to have days where you think, man, am I even a Christian? How many of you ever doubt, like, am I even a Christian? You know, and, and you're like, what's going on? And you're afraid and you feel intimidated and I can't share my faith. You know, I, I, can't, I can't serve. I don't have a gift. What, what, my gift stinks. I mean, look, at this other person's more gifted than me. Why does Paul tell Timothy this? Because it's the reality of any believer who has genuine faith. When I say that, I mean, listen to me, genuine faith. People that have a real faith in Christ are the ones that feel fear. If you feel fear, it doesn't mean you don't have a genuine faith. In fact, it might mean that you're actually being opposed because you do. If you feel discouraged or you feel like I, I'm not good enough, I can't do it, what you're experiencing 
is just the real feeling of a person who God is working through. In, his, in our weakness, he's made strong. So Paul says, hey, that's not coming from God, that fear, that intimidation, that's not coming from God. And, and, and Paul then gives him and says, this is what comes from God. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But I want to I I talk about this idea of fear and intimidation that comes. You know, often as we're, we're attempting to serve God, we take these as clues, like this fear that I feel, or I feel intimidated, and then we allow it to invalidate what, what God wants to do through you. And what we should do instead is say, no, I'm going to fan this into flames because that fear does not come from God. That, that intimidation, even our natural inclinations that sort of stop us from being the person God's made us to be and to really activate our, our grace gifts and serve the world around us and share the gospel and be a disciple maker, th- those things, uh, we want to throw that fear off. You know, for me, I'm actually an introvert and you know, we do a bunch of TV ads and Facebook ads and stuff. And so people will recognize me around town and I'll, I'll tell Bethany, I'll be like, oh man, it's happening again. Like I'll be in the restaurant and I'll just look over and there's like some dude and he's awkwardly looking at me. And then I awkwardly make eye contact and I'm like, oh my gosh, I just want to eat this burger. Like I don't, you know, and people will come up to me and they'll be like, hey, are you that guy, Jake from State Farm or whatever? I'm like, oh, I've never heard that before. So anyways, But people will recognize me, and so I'm kind of introverted, so I don't really prefer it, but a lot of times I'll have great conversations. Yeah, I am, Jake, and would love to have you guys, you know, come out, whatever. Um, and I have to remember that, you know, God is working in me, faith fanned into flames, real Christianity. Like, I, I don't want to be intimidated by people recognizing me. Uh, my natural inclination is to be scared and intimidated and not want to be recognized and want to stay anonymous, and yet the Lord won't let me be anonymous because... He wants the gospel that got to me to get through me. Come on, somebody. God, God, because God doesn't want me to go, you know what, my identity is I'm introverted and I'm just going to go sit and be sad in a chair the rest of my life. God wants to deliver me even from my natural personality so I can be on fire for, for God and, and share the gospel. Does it mean it's bad to be an introvert? No, I'm, I'm still an introvert. But introversion will not stop the kingdom from advancing. Well, I'm extroverted, so I need people. No, maybe you need to go sit by yourself and pray for like 20 minutes or 10 seconds. You know what I mean? I don't want to make the bar too high, you know. God, God wants to work through that. We were laughing about this because we were camping at the coast, and the, one of the, the, the second night we were there, all of a sudden we had these kids at our campfire with our kids, and they're roasting marshmallows and eating our food and stuff, and we're like, where are their parents? Like, wouldn't, wouldn't they want to come see who, who, what weirdos are like feeding their children marshmallows and hot cocoa and ramen and whatever we were giving them, popcorn? And, but they didn't care. You know, it was like these kids are just here. And then the next day, uh, I'm trying to be like, you know, introverted and I'm trying to put my hoodie on and grow my beard out and look mean. And this guy comes across and he's like, hey, neighbor, I'm your neighbor at a camping. And I'm like, cool, cool, cool. He's like, where are you from, Eugene? No way, I'm from Coburg. What a small world. I'm like, not really. We all live really close. We all camp here. It's not weird. He's like, what a small world. I'm like, it's really small right now with you standing three feet from my face. What do you do? I'm a pastor. What, what'd you say? I'm a pastor. But I'm not a pastor today. I, I am on Sundays, but not today. I'm trying to camp with my family here, man. And he's telling me his life story. And, you know, man, our kids should get together and all this kind of stuff. I said to Bethany, I'm like, we better leave or we're going to plant a church. 
We got a kids ministry around the campfire. We got a new family that is our best friends in the whole world. Apparently that just are blown away that God would cause two people from one hour away to be in the same campground. We got to leave or we'll start a church. We're in Chicago a couple weeks ago and, and we're, we're like the only Christians in this wedding party and the only other Christian we could identify was the guy that did the wedding and so he sidled up to us and we had a Holy Ghost high five, you know? And uh, that was funny. But anyways, um, all of a sudden somebody walks up and they start telling us, starts telling us his life story and he's telling us about his, how his parents wounded him and his, his, his deep issues and we're just sitting there like, do I smell like a Christian? Like, is there like a, is there like a cologne that like Christians wear? And the reality is that Jesus said, you are salt. You are light. Not when you feel like it because Jesus showed up on the inside of you. And so that fear and that intimidation that comes against you and even your own inclinations, even me as a, you know, recalcitrant introvert and somebody who would just prefer my own company, except for I don't, because I don't even like myself that much. You know what I mean? Like, God is like, Jake, you don't get to just sit in your own weaknesses. I'm raising you up. You're going to make a difference. And that fear and that intimidation, that voice that would come to you of insecurity and say, you're not good enough. You're not enough. You know what you should tell it? You're right, but God is enough in me. And I get to be who he's called me to be. And this is what Paul says. God didn't give you that fear and timidity. That's not from him. Here's what he gives you. And this is awesome. And we'll finish up with this. He gives you power, he gives you love, and he gives you a sound mind. And listen what these words mean. This word power, this is what comes from God. Power, in the Greek, it's this word dunamis, and it's where we get our word dynamite. And this isn't just any kind of power. This isn't like, go work out at a gym power. This is God's kind of power. This is supernatural power. This is like create heaven and earth. This is cast out demons. This is see the sick healed. This is see the dead raised. This is cast out demon power. This is supernatural power. Hello? This is the kind of power that Jesus said we would get in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth, at Honeyman in Florence, in Chicago, whether you want to or not, you will be telling people about me because it's undeniable. The power of God is on the inside of you to empower you to be who God's called you to be and to do what he's called you to do. And here's the thing about being a Christian that I'll add. Jesus didn't put it in here, but I think it's implied. Whether you want to or not. Man, God's power is powerful and it changes even you from the inside out. But when you feel intimidated, when you feel weak, when you feel like you can't, turn around and say, I can because I have God's power on the inside of me. God didn't give me the fear. He didn't give me the intimidation. He gave me the power to win, the power to accomplish, the power to, to be who he's called me to be. Number two, he gave us love. This word love is the word agape. This is God's kind of love. This is the love that bled on a cross 2,000 years ago. This is the love that is unconditional. This is the love of a God who is faithful even when you're unfaithful. The kind of love that wraps its arms around you and doesn't let go even when you're a limp noodle and you're not holding on. This is God's kind of love that pulled you out of darkness and put you into his family this is God's kind of love that a father runs out to a prodigal, sinful son, wraps his arms around him and says, this is my son who is dead, but is now alive. This is my son who was lost, but now is fan. So go kill the cattle and let's have a, a party in this place because of this love. That's the kind of love that God put in your heart. Not conditional, not based on how good you do today or did you read your Bible last week? No, God's kind of love 
on the inside of you, not fear, not intimidation, his power and his love. Rescue and redeeming and beautiful love of God that transforms us from the inside out, that rips down our insecurities and builds us up as sons and daughters who are made on purpose and for a purpose. God's kind of love is what he gives us. And third, this word self-discipline or a sound mind. This is a broad concept, but what's being spoken of here is the way God thinks. It's a, it's a mind that isn't loose and confused and in despair and unable to, to set a direction and go that direction. It's a mind that is like a steel trap, clear, focused, disciplined, wise, peaceful. God's kind of thinking, not caught up in confusion or despair. With God's power, with his love and with his mind, that sound mind working in you, you can live out this genuine faith and make a difference. You can fan it into flames. You can say intimidation and fear, be gone because I'm filled with God's power, with his love and his mind, his sound mind. You know, one of the things that we need to work on as followers of Jesus is understanding our new identity in Christ. See, a lot of people deal with, they, they identify as what they were, not as who they are now. Oh, I'm a victim. I was abused. No, you were a victim. Now you're more than a conqueror in Christ. Come on. You can't be a victim and be a Christian at the same time. Those two things do not mix. That's oil and water. To, to, can you have had a past? Can you have been victimized? A hundred percent. We all have. We've all sinned. We've been hurt. We've hurt other people. We've, we've, we've been wounded. But you know what? When you come to the cross of Jesus Christ, his blood covers your sin and it pays for the sins of others. And he invites you into a life now of power, love, and a sound mind. So we can say with him, no, we're not victims. We are victorious in Christ. God's power, God's love, and a sound mind working in us. In conclusion, Paul ends in verse 9. He says, for God saved us. Listen, when, the, when you see the word for, it's referencing back to what was just said before and making a connection. Paul's going to tell us now the purpose of why God gives us power, love, and a sound mind. Why fear is not from God. He says, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. This word holy means set apart, a life of purpose, a consecrated life. A life that was going one direction now has been taken from that direction, taken from that place, put somewhere else, a new direction. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. We're saved not because of our, that we deserved it. We're saved because God planned to show us grace through Christ. Amen. And we're also called. Not only are we saved, we're also called. We're not, just, we're not just taken from sin. We're brought into holy purpose, set apart to live a life that pleases God, a holy, set apart life. All live for the glory of God. God has purpose in you and God has purpose for you. And Paul's last words to his spiritual son, Timothy, as he's starting off this letter are, Timothy, don't, don't forget to fan that gift into flames. Fan that faith that is real, that is faith unto salvation, but fan it into flames, put it into action and walk out this faith in power, in love and in a sound mind. Fan that genuine faith into flames by activating your God-given gifts. And here's what I'd pray for us, that every single day we would punch fear in the face with God's power, his love and his peace, his sound mind working in us. In Jesus' name. Go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes today. If you're here in this place, you know, every, every week we make an opportunity for people to to make a decision, a first step of following Jesus. And the, the way that we do that is we admit that we need him. We confess our sins and we ask Jesus to save us. The gospel is simple. We all sin and fall short, fall short of the glory of God, but God made a way for us to be reconciled with him through his son, Jesus. 
And we can make a decision to say, Jesus, I receive your payment of my, for my sins and I trust you as my Lord and Savior. And we give our life to him. If that's you today and you want to start this journey of faith, would you raise your hand so I can see? I'm not going to single you out or embarrass you. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Jake, I want to put my faith in Christ, would you just raise your hand so I can see? Awesome, awesome. And we're going to pray this prayer together. We'll all pray it together and then we'll give you another step to take so you can keep that journey moving forward with the Lord. Let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I know that I've not lived up to your standard, but I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be right with you. I give you my life. I put my faith and trust in you and in you alone. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. Amen.